Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we have Lyra Doderlin, who is a first-time Paralympian, will be a first-time Paralympian, headed to Beijing in Nordic skiing and also biathlon. We're going to get into this, but she was previously a sled hockey player in addition to a variety of other things. Lyra, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And I guess we have to give you people a little bit of a backstory too, because you hustled straight from training a half an hour drive to get here. So you're still, you're still in your, in your Nordic gear and everything. You're not, hopefully you're not all sweaty and everything still. Uh, it was a cold day out, so I didn't sweat too much luckily, but uh, definitely still warming down from the practice I was just at. And so you are the youngest athlete on the, on the Nordic team. Is that right? Close. Uh, one of our male athletes, Max is 17 actually. So okay. Just a year older than him. Just a year older. But you got into Nordic skiing fairly recently. What did you say? Two, 2000, or 2020, right? That you got into yep. Nordic skiing and now you're going to the Paralympics. How did this, how, how did this whole, and we probably have to go a ways back. Should we go a ways back and we can start with the whole. I could start with my whole story. <laughs> we want to go back to the whole story. Yeah. So let's, Let's do that, which is actually really interesting because we've had Oksana on as well, who has a parallel story to yours. Yeah. So, yeah, our stories are pretty similar. Uh, some differences, obviously, but just getting into the background of things is pretty cool. But my story pretty much starts in a little town in Russia. Uh, that was where I was born. And I was born right away with a disability in both my legs and my hips. And right away I was put up for adoption. And from there, it was about 18 to 22 months old when a family adopted me and brought me to the US. Um, and I used orthotics to get around because of the disability that I had. Uh, and I used those up until about the age of 14. And around that time I had gone through several surgeries to try to better my my stance and gait and just the, the, the future for my walking ability. But after a few talks, my doctors and I realized that it wouldn't be too easy uh, going on in the future. And that one of the best decisions I could make actually possibly was a double amputation. How daunting is that though? I mean, you're 14 years old. Cause I mean like, okay, so I broke my back. And, and the whole time in the hospital, you're thinking, okay, there's going to be a miracle. I'm going to walk again. This is when you cut your legs off, there's no going back to that, right? <laughs> you can't put them back on. Yeah, it, it was not an easy decision. I'll tell you that. I mean, my family and I knew just because of the background of my disability, there wasn't a hundred percent certainty that I could walk but I knew that I wanted it that bad and I knew I'd put in the work for it and I had a good support system behind me to do it. So we just took that chance and had that amputation. And that was back five years ago now, back in the summer of 2017. And I mean, going into my sports career per se, uh, I never really focused on sports before I had my amputations, but about three months after, right at the time when I was starting to get fit for my first pair of prosthetics, I was introduced to 
um, a clinician at my local hangar clinic in Arizona, and he played sled hockey. He was missing a leg above the knee. And I mean, in Arizona, you kind of have to think, do people actually play hockey? But apparently they did. Um, and I went out to a practice uh, after a few times of him trying to ask me, I decided to go and try it out. Just why not? And Had you seen it at all? Had you seen hockey? Did you know what he was talking about? I, I've seen hockey. I never really watched hockey before then or but sled hockey specifically? Sled hockey, I never heard of, never seen, never seen anybody do it at all before. I pretty much got on the ice the first time. It was the very first time I saw somebody play sled hockey. It's pretty surreal, actually. Just, oh, it was a crazy experience those first few months on the ice. What was it like just jumping into one of those? Because can you describe for people what a sled hockey sled is like? Yeah, so it when you think of a sled hockey bucket, it, it can vary, bit, like depending on if you're missing legs or if you have legs or just one leg. But the overall idea is that you're sitting on a bucket in a bucket that kind of surrounds your whole up to your waist. Right, bucket seat, right. Yeah, yeah. it's a bucket seat. And a lot of times if you have legs, you have a bar that kind of just holds your legs and it sits under your legs to protect it and hold it so you can have it in front of you. And kind of similar with uh, double amps, you have that protective area, but it's pretty much just a seat where you're wrapped in as much as tightly as you can. So then when you go to pass the puck, handle the puck, or even check people, uh, hit people, then you're going to stay in that bucket and you're going to stay somewhat protected at least. <laughs> And so underneath the sled, you have one or two blades. How does that work? Two blades. A lot of times it can look like one blade because of how close they are. Uh, when you first start sled hockey, a lot of it is just finding that balance and really figuring out that you can use your core, which is really hard for, I mean, I had a really hard time with it at first. And a lot of times what people do is they start with their blades very wide apart. So it gives them more stability, but the longer and longer you play, the more you kind of, you find your niche and you kind of want to be able to move, maneuver more like, a, like you're moving on a dime per se. And so that's when people move their blades in closer so they can turn. You can turn way faster. Yeah. And then, so you propel yourself. Cause I mean, I've, I've watched, I've actually never done it. I've never done sled hockey, uh, but <laughs> Okay, but so you have you have two little sticks with ice picks on the on the bottom. Is that how you propel yourself? Yes. So they're pretty much miniature stand-up hockey sticks. The blade, like the end that typically would carry the puck, is where you would have your hand at the top. And there's a little pick on the bottom of it on the stick. And you press that into the ice and you propel it forward. And you have that on both hands. So yeah. And you can handle the puck with both hands or just one, depending on if you want to be ambidextrous uh, or not. Um, but yeah, so you pretty much use the stick for pushing yourself and propelling your sled and to handle the puck. What was the best part of hockey for you? I feel like a lot of it was the team that I was able to play with, any team that I was able to play with, just being able to take those little lessons from everybody. I mean, sport specific, I have a really fun time just getting really close to people. You know, just 
zooming past people, possibly checking them, stealing the puck from them, just that one-on-one -on -one action where you really get into the nitty gritty of things. That's just what gets me going most of the time. Hockey is an interesting sport as well in that, that it's co-ed effectively, right? And can even be co-ed on the national team hasn't been yet, yeah. but could theoretically be co-ed on the national team too. Yeah. Is that the way that you played on your team in Arizona? Yes. I actually started on an adult team in Arizona uh, because it wasn't a youth team at the time. Um, and yeah, there were probably two or three other women on the team uh, besides myself. So most of the players are male, but it is a co-ed sport. If you're lucky, you find a few female on each team. Now, when you hit somebody, was there a big cheer that went up? You know, when the woman's hitting the man, is that were all your teammates like, yeah, there she goes? I mean, I feel like when we are on the ice, especially in a game, the gender kind of just falls away. I feel like a lot of times, uh, which I think is a good thing. I mean, every single player is just seen as a player whether female or male and when you check somebody like it doesn't really matter if you're male or female you're just checking somebody and everybody's excited about it uh, that's pretty cool to me actually <laughs> and then how did you go from playing hockey to getting into cross-country skiing oh man um <laughs> a few backstories to it actually how I got into skiing Part of it was through my clinic for prosthetics hanger clinic. I was at one of my very first, what they call Baca boot camps, which is for double above knee amputees uh, to gain the ability to learn how to walk and just get around because it's pretty hard as a double amp. But uh, I was at this, uh, the event and a paranordic ski coach was actually there, Bethany Chamberlain, uh, and she was handing out just you know, flyers, and she saw me, of course. <laughs> she probably saw me as a mini Oksana Masters, probably, uh, just because we're so similar. Um, and she came up to me, and she's like, hey, you should try skiing. And it took me a while, probably took uh, about a year or two, <laughs> um, sadly. But I kind of took that convincing, along with uh, another story in another sport, uh, in hand cycling, actually. Uh, after a while of being affiliated with the Challenge Athletes Foundation, they started an all-women's hand cycling team, and they asked me to join it uh, as a rookie. I mean, it was pretty uh, weird transition from hockey, but one of the benefits was the teammates that I had, especially Oksana Masters. She was in the same riding class, uh, bike class that I was, and so she really helped me transition into the sport. And from there, she also kind of talked me into the sport of skiing and biathlon too, because she skis and cycles. So it's got that connection. And after a while, uh, I just felt that nudge myself too, not, not only with other people telling me that I should try it. I, I got onto the snow back in 2019 for the first time at the Ski Spectacular. Um, and that was my first event which is out in Breckenridge. So you're like, yes, what, 9,000, 9,600 feet in town or whatever. So yeah, it was uh, like sled hockey. It was the most 
amazing experience getting on the snow for the first time. I mean, I sucked at it first. Um, I definitely wouldn't say I'm the best already anyways now, but um, just getting on the snow and I mean, not even the fact that it was felt so similar to sled hockey, but just an empowering sport to, to show yourself that you can ski amongst the others and try new things. And I feel like that was kind of one of the more exciting things for me is when I got on the snow and I was like, oh, I can do this. I can do it if I wanted to. And I really enjoy it. And I mean, even my first time holding an air rifle was, I mean, for me, it was a little scary, but I'll, at the same time, it was empowering because I was thinking, oh, I can shoot a gun now. <laughs> um, so just little things like that uh, kind of sparked my joy for the sport and it kind of just went on from there. It's, I mean, that's because you talk, I mean, you talked about a whole bunch of things there. So, yeah. so we'll get back to biathlon where you're talking about shooting a gun, which to me is one of the most amazing sports out there. It really is. But what did that feel like? I mean, coordination wise, it, it probably made sense from what you were doing in hockey because it's a similar kind of motion, mm -hmm. but there's more resistance, right? Because you're, you're playing hockey, you're sliding on ice. It's very Because you're skiing, you're on snow. Yes. And you don't slide as well. What did that feel like? Did you, cause it's, I mean, I've done it. I know that it's hard. Like, like it's, it's not easy. <laughs> um, it's very different from sled hockey. I mean, the two, yes, the coordination and the movement is pretty similar, but on the ice, you're not dealing with terrain. Your ice is pretty much the same condition a hundred percent of the time. And on the snow, uh, the snow and the weather around you can change drastically in one day, really. Um, and so it, I mean, for me, it took a little bit to understand that it's okay for things to change and you kind of just have to adapt with them. Uh, but it's definitely a learning curve, especially for somebody who came from a sport that's very uh, consistent. <laughs> Well, consistent and you have an incentive, right? I mean, the puck is there, like go get the puck. Whereas this is, you know, you have some sprint events, but then you have 5K, you have 10K, 12K, you know, these kinds of like that there, there's no puck that you're that you're chasing. It's you're you're out there for a long time. And is one harder than the other? Like as far as your arms are concerned, as far as your fitness or your fatigue. I feel like the two of them, you could say yes to both. Uh, I, it, I feel like skiing is a bit more physically demanding, um, especially because you're, you do need that endurance to hold on to those long distance skis. Uh, and in hockey, you're stopping and going and sprinting just direct, like, like randomly. Uh, so I would say overall skiing is a bit harder to, handle overall um you don't have that puck I remember when I first started skiing my coach would tell me like my teammate in front of me was that puck and I'm chasing the puck and nowadays I think of it similarly I mean I mean there is that incentive it just in a different way what's the coordination like you were talking about with your with your sled hockey sled where you start getting the blades in closer and closer so that you can turn better but turns in Nordic skiing 
are one of the hardest parts because your your skis are in the in the same width as as the tracks right so so it's a fixed width and you have to go around these turns and try not to lose all of the momentum that you've just created because usually you're going around a turn then you seem to go up a hill right? right so what's the coordination like that how did you figure out how to one do the turn when you're going uphill and two the turn when you're going downhill where these things aren't really designed to turn I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, the first few steps I really had to think of is, I mean, a lot of repetition with watching video, watching people in real time, and really just trying different things and seeing which things work best for you and what your comfort level is, and and then seeing where you can go out of that comfort level. And I mean, even as things that seem as little as just having the right bucket. Uh, and the right setup for yourself, that makes a big difference for the way that you can maneuver. Uh, So all these little things, you kind of just have to dial in. And after a while, once those things are dialed in, you're able to focus on the the other little things or maybe even bigger things. And you kind of keep building off of that. Do you like the turns? I mean, I I was looking at your Instagram and, and you've got a picture of yourself with up on, up on one ski going around the turn like is that is that something that you really enjoy I really enjoy it uh I've I mean at first and even to this day there are downhills and even uphills that scare me uh but once I go down them it's the thrill of getting through that hill and realizing oh I can accomplish this and you just kind of have to have a little faith in yourself and your skis uh and the skills that you've acquired to go through it so it's pretty exciting for me it definitely helps to have a little experience. Well, it's because it, it's also when you crash in Nordic skiing, like really you often go off of the track. The track is groomed. You end up off in the snow, in the deeper snow, having to find your way back onto the track. So it's generally not exactly the easiest way. There's sort of a need for a tow truck oftentimes when you, when you, when you crash in Nordic skiing, but making your first team how are you how are you looking at at this experience in beijing what are your do you have expectations um i would say i'm definitely looking for just um, just a way for myself to see all the progress come together uh only being 18 years old i'm not really trying to set expectations on myself Uh, especially because, I mean, this is my very first Paralympics and I still have a lot to learn. I've only been skiing for only two seasons now. Um, So I really don't want to go into the games having expectations, more or less just wanting to prove to myself that I can put in that work when the time comes and really push past those hard portions of a race is what I'm aiming at for my first games. And just enjoying the overall experience, especially with my teammates. I know, obviously, this is a very different games experience for so many people, and I don't have games experience, but I know this will be very different with the COVID situation, but I'm really just looking at making every moment count. You, you've said, or I've read that you've said that your philosophy is no bad days. What, what does that mean? I've always had um, a bit of a... A positive side. Uh, I hear it from my teammates and my family, and 
I kind of just look for the little things that make the day a lot better. I mean, especially going through hard days in school as a high school student, hard days in training, you kind of just have to find ways to be positive about it. And I feel like that is just helping my motivation with things. I mean, um, when I say no bad days, it's like kind of the saying, uh, don't let yourself go to bed angry. Um, and that's kind of my idea of like, okay, there are rough moments in a day, but there are also good moments in the day. And you kind of just have to look for those sometimes. And yeah, I mean, that's just kind of me is I always try to look for the good in things and just try to make the best of situations, like I've said. Are you pretty successful in that? Um, I like to think so. <laughs> there are definitely days where it's harder than others. Um, but for the most part, I feel pretty confident in the fact that I can hold up that idea, especially for my, maybe not for other people, but with myself, it definitely makes a difference and I can see it. You forged a great relationship with Oksana or at least that's what it looks like from the outside, who also seems like one of the most positive people. You know, I mean, you just happen. I mean, one of the great things is having those kinds of teammates where you sort of get swept along as well. You don't have to do all the work all by yourself. And I'd imagine there's a give and take, but what is that relationship with her meant to you? Getting to know Oksana and being able to compete with her and just becoming a good friend of hers has really taught me a lot of lessons and not just lessons, but just have, knowing that I have a good teammate. And I mean, she is without a doubt, one of the best athletes I have ever met. And just the way that she is so, she has so much grit within her. And that really not only inspires me, but motivates me to push towards my goals that I want to accomplish. And just having a teammate like her to show you that I mean, even people who aren't double amputees can see that she she knows what she wants and she goes for it. And I think that's one of the most inspiring things that I've gained from her. And just having a teammate like her, like you said, I mean, you kind of share that positivity, but she just shines. <laughs> and so it's pretty easy to just say, hey, I mean, you're doing this and so can I probably. Yeah, and you want to follow her. Are you as competitive as as she is, or are you actually allowed to play board games? <laughs> um, well, considering we've played a few football teams uh, games in the past, and uh, it hasn't gone too smoothly, uh, I'd say that we're both pretty competitive. Um, knowing she's had she's got a few years on me, I'd say she might be a little more competitive than me, but got that fire building in me. So might be a little pretty close, I'd say. What, which events are you going to compete in in Beijing? Do you know that yet? I do. So currently my schedule is to compete in two biathlon races and two cross country. Uh, I will do the sprint cross country, the sprint biathlon, the middle cross country and the middle biathlon, I believe. And so what are the distances on those? So the, the sprint uh, biathlon is a 6K and the middle is, I want to say 10, but it might be 12, 12 and a half, something like that. Um, and then the middle for women, uh, cross country middle will be a seven and a half, I believe. And the cross country sprint is the shortest one, of course. So it'll be less than a 1K. 
which is just flat out though. I mean, it's, it's one of those like cross country skiing biathlon where everybody seems like they're, they're on their last breath kind of thing after they've crossed the finish line. Yes, it's definitely, it's like survival of the fittest. <laughs> it's like, no. Exactly. And you get to that finish line. Now, can you describe to us what biathlon is and what your objective to have a successful biathlon is? Uh, so biathlon basically is combining cross-country skiing and using, at least in Paris uh, skiing or in Paris sports, use an air rifle. And what you do is you would, for a sprint race, for example, in biathlon, you would ski uh, 2K and then you would go through into a so-called range where all of the targets that you shoot are. You get down on a mat and you'd shoot five and then you get up you ski another 2K, you come back in, you shoot that same again, and then you go out and you ski another 2K and you go into the finish line. So it's kind of just uh, alternating between skiing and shooting until you get to the finish. But what happens if you miss any of your, because you have those targets, right? So you just have to hit the target and then the, the yeah. little door comes down and covers it if you hit it, right? Yes. But if you so, miss it, what happens? So there's two options or... Um, consequences i guess uh if you miss a shot uh, in certain races you would do a penalty loop which is just a short extra ski loop um kind of just to equalize with that missed shot um, and typically in longer races you would have a penalty minute or maybe even two minutes uh added to your time your total time after that missed shot what is the mental exercise after you miss a shot and you know that then you have to do this penalty lap after your, I mean, your heart rate. And so what's your answer that? And then we'll go back to like what your heart rate is like as you're going along. Cause you probably have that all charted. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a give and go situation. You kind of go through it and you kind of just have to reset no matter what happens. If you hit it or if you miss it, you just you go through it and you kind of just clock it out of your brain. You try to forget about it and move on to the next uh, objective. That is it. So what's what's going on with the heart rate? Like what's your heart rate when you're skiing? And then what's your heart rate when you have to shoot? Uh, I don't know if I could give any specifics since it just goes pretty high, um, especially during a sprint. Um, but you... Your heart rate is set pretty high uh, through the course of the race. And once you get to the point where you're slowing down a little and getting ready to get in the range and get on your mat, you try to slow down your breath, your breathing pattern. And so that helps that when you get to the mat, your heart rate is closer to being steady and consistent and pretty low low enough that you're able to slow your breath down and hold the rifle still enough to get that sh good shot off of. And then once you go out of the range, it's kind of just a loop again. And so, so is this like when you're skiing, are you approaching like 200 beats per minute kind of thing, like somewhere in that 150 to 200 kind of thing, and then trying to. Uh, yeah, I, I actually don't know that by, uh, by memory uh, I feel like we kind of go by feel on a lot of things just because it can be harder to 
to think of those little things during a race. Um, so I don't have an exact answer on that. <laughs> okay, well, that's totally fine. And then when you when you go to shoot, what's that process? Are you are you like exhaling and then and then shooting? Do you try to shoot like in between heartbeats? Do you not? How does that uh, work? It's more uh, shooting between breaths. So yeah, so you get down the mat, you get your rifle set up and you maybe take one breath, shoot, or one, two, three, shoot, something like that. And you kind of just get into that regular cadence. So say you're going one breath at a time, you breathe in, down, shoot, breathe in, shoot. You kind of just go through that until you're through your, your five uh, shots. And all of your shooting is prone. Is that right or not? It is prone. So how does that work? You're coming in this, in this sit ski and then you've got to be prone. You've got to be lying down. Yeah. So most, of, I mean, most, uh, I'd say all sit skiers actually approach the mat sideways and you kind of just flop over on your your side, um, some someone like me with a little more range of motion is able to put my skis behind me more or less. So my legs are stretched out and I'm horizontal on my stomach. Uh, some people go sideways and have their legs kind of crunched next to them. Um, but overall, they're on the mat prone. And um, so does uh, upright uh, pair of skiers. Uh, they do prone too. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I mean, you have to get into the most balanced position so that then you can shoot well, which is, which is, do you, do you have a preference one or the other between biathlon and cross country? Ooh, uh, I feel like, to say? I, I, I totally, uh, uh, there's definitely pros and cons, not really cons to both, but, uh, they're just both really similar for me, not similar, but, uh, they both hold a lot of joy for me. Kind of in both sports, I I don't know if I could pick one over the other. Maybe biathlon, just because the excitement of shooting and possibly hitting all five targets is pretty exciting. Uh, but then again, I'm kind of a sucker for those sprint races and 5Ks too. So it's kind of a balance between the two. So this is your first games and you're going as a Nordic skier. And we talked earlier about how how hockey can be a co-ed sport but there's also talk of a women's national team potentially and a women's tournament at the paralympics would you be conflicted if there were a women's hockey and you're already a cross-country skier yeah i think i would be pretty conflicted i mean obviously i mean right now there is no women's paralympic sled hockey there are uh, several teams out there, uh, including our women's development team on the U.S. side, but um, it would be years, I think, until that would be made a sport. Uh, but even then, um, I think it would be pretty hard to decide, uh, to, especially depending on where I am in my ski career. I mean, only assuming that I'm going to get better, hopefully, and progress more over the years and even just thinking towards Milan, I mean, it's going to be a lot different than it is this year for me. So I think it'd be a very hard decision. What about summertime stuff? You said that there's some hand cycling. Are you, are you following in Oksana's uh, footsteps with 
Nordic skiing. I mean, I, well, I guess you could do rowing as well and, and then hand cycling too. I mean, um, you know, hand cycling is just one of those sports where, I mean, it's a great sport. I feel like I, especially in the last year or two, I've seen it as more of a uh, um, off-season cross-training kind of sport. Um, and especially with my my plans for my future in uh, winter sports, um, I think at the moment at least, uh, it's not exactly on my mind for the Paralympic level, but who knows, maybe in the future it will be. Okay. Yeah. So you do a lot of your off-season training in a hand cycle because you guys really don't do that much roller skiing per se no. as, as sit skiers, right? No, I mean, certain teams do. Um, we use a lot of gym equipment for that off-training stuff. And we do uh, kind of multitask with different sports for that off-training work. So being being younger, are you still in school? Are you having to juggle school and training? And how, how is that working out? Yeah, so I'm still a senior in high school, actually. Um, and I started... I started off my high school um, uh, in freshman year. I was in public school. And then uh, that was about a year or two after starting sled hockey. And after traveling for a while, I kind of realized that it would be harder and harder to juggle that kind of thing. And, and especially now with two or three sports to focus on, uh, I transferred to online school uh, in my sophomore year, which now is very, very helpful uh, since I'll be out of the country for almost a month. Um, so I am juggling school, uh, but it's definitely a lot easier without being in public school because my school is back in San Diego and I'm here in Montana training for the whole winter. And so you're in Bozeman. How does that work? Do you, are you, are you living on your own? Do you live with teammates or what do you do? Yeah. So a lot of our team lives in team housing and I'm one of those people so I live among a few one or two people normally within our team and we just live in uh, athlete housing athlete housing how cool is that to to be out on your own like as a as a high school senior doing your sport doing school online that kind of thing uh it's definitely different than living with my parents um I'd say it's both freeing and definitely a learning curve, uh, just learning to do things more on your own and independently. Uh, but it's been a really good learning experience for myself, especially last year I came out here and did the same thing. And it was very helpful to me, I think, just being able to grow outside of my comfort zone more. And I think it really helped with my personal growth and athletic growth even too. So were you a cook? Do you... <laughs> uh, if you consider cooking uh, spaghetti and pancakes, <laughs> that's about it. Um, I'm pretty, yeah, I cook for myself, nobody else really. <laughs> so a lot of, a lot of carbs, it sounds like, but you're burning a lot of carbs as well. Yeah, I definitely try to balance it out. It helps to have our nutritionist on the team always telling us what to eat and maybe not what not to eat. So that's pretty helpful. How do you like Bozeman? Oh, Bozeman is beautiful. Uh, it's very different from San Diego, uh, but I love being around the snow and just the atmosphere here is a bit more calming to me and a really great training environment, I'd say. 
do you have any any downtime? I mean, like being a student, being an athlete, do you have any downtime? Are you allowed? I mean, do you watch any movies? Do you read books? What do you what 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 are you able to do? Or are you pretty much working the whole time? Um, I say typically I have a, a good chunk of time, uh, maybe spread out through the week uh, to chill. Uh, I'm definitely a movie buff or TV buff. Um, I'm a big Grey's Anatomy fan. Um, <laughs> so I'm always kind of watching that while I'm doing work, maybe, or just chilling out. Um, but yeah, occasionally I'll read a book. Okay. So Grey's, Grey's Anatomy is the go-to. Do you have a whole bunch of those downloaded to go to, to, go to Beijing? Uh, no, uh, sadly. Uh, especially with uh, restrictions uh, for technology, it'll be pretty hard to bring over Grey's Anatomy. Uh, but maybe if I'm lucky, I'll see it on the plane on the way there. That is going to be an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, just the whole idea of being in this closed loop in Beijing where they're going to limit your exposure to the outside world effectively what are you how are you approaching that sort of from a mental aspect to be able to you know uh, reduce the stress of being at the biggest event of your life i feel like uh i have uh, despite being pretty busy with keeping up on school before heading out for a while uh, i've had a good amount of time to kind of just settle my mindset um, especially with the team that we have and my family, they've been really helpful and just making things a lot simpler, uh, which I feel like is key right now is just not having a ton of things to worry about. It's pretty helpful. So just trying to make things pretty straightforward, but also being flexible to the situation. I feel like, uh, because I have such a good team behind me and we're all there for each other, especially right now. Um, I haven't exactly had to have that self-talk of, oh, it's going to be very different with COVID and just even being at the biggest athletic stage in the world. Um, I remember my first World Cup uh, back last year <laughs> in Slovenia. And I, I mean, it was a pretty crazy event for me being my first international competition. And I think that helped me and competitions now, I mean, I kind of just see them all as one competition, one type of competition. I kind of try to look at them as the same. Um, maybe say I'm doing a local race. I try to treat it as if I'm going to be racing at the Paralympics. Um, and that kind of just allows me to put my best foot forward no matter where I am. So a race is a race for you is, is what you're saying. And, and is it, is it that race within kind of thing? I mean, the race to push yourself as, as hard as you can kind of thing? I feel like it is. Um, I feel like it's always kind of come from sled hockey too. Uh, from having that little pit of fire uh, and passion in myself. Um, always trying to get that puck. Uh, it has never really mattered to me, the situation, whether I'm in practice or, or a really big tournament or race. It's kind of always just set up the same in my brain for some reason. And I feel like that's a good way of looking at it. Just keeping it simple that it's just, it's just a simple thing. It's get the puck. It's just go hard. Here we go. 
Right. It's not any different. What about what about the temperature? I mean, it sounds like it could be significantly warmer yeah. in 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 Beijing. And it, it, it's actually it's it's kind of funny too, right? Because you've been training in Bozeman, it's been really cold for the most part, and we've had a fairly cold winter. And then and then you might get to race in like a short sleeve shirt kind of thing. Is that something that's nice? Is that something that's not nice? Well, I I mean, I don't know what weather will be like then, but I think, I mean, our whole team really is just getting prepared for any kind of weather, whether it's extremely freezing or soaking up the sun all day. I mean, we're kind of just ready to perform in whatever clothing we have to wear or, or whatever mindset we need for it. We're kind of just prepared for whatever. So you don't have a preference one way or the other. You're not like, oh, warm weather's where I stay great, or cold weather, whatever I mean, it is. It's it's a trade-off. In the warm weather, your your body temperature is more comfortable, but the snow conditions can be really bad. Uh, and same or kind of the opposite in cold weather, the snow can be great, but your body's just not warming up at all. Um, so I feel like there's good good and bad to both. Have you been watching the Olympics in preparation? I have. Um, I feel a little guilty saying it, but I've been watching a lot more hockey than skiing at the moment. Uh, been following up with the women's hockey team, and they have their gold game tonight. Uh, so gotta tune in for that. But uh, I feel like it's been really helpful to also watch the ski races and the biathlon races and see the course, but also see how the athletes there are preparing and just taking the race out overall is really helpful to see how much do you think that seeing that course on television informs you of what it'll be like when you get there do you feel like you'll you'll know more by virtue of watching it or or will it not really tell you too much um, I I think yes and no it's definitely better than not seeing it at all whether you're in person or over tv but the best form of seeing it and is just experiencing it, uh, experiencing it really. So I think once we get there, it'll be different. We'll definitely have to think of it a little differently probably because over TV it can look a little different. Uh, but I think overall it'll help a little. It'll help a little. Who are you looking at as competition? Are you... Do, do you have specific competition that you're looking at or is it really just the the personal that then you look at the board afterwards and go okay where did I come in uh, I feel like it's a little bit of both um, I haven't really tried to focus on um, where I stand I kind of want to wait until I get there to see what my competition's like um, and yeah just wait until after the competition and kind of just like set everybody else up as if they were all my competition really whether it's Oksana or whoever really sitting up next to me you do have a bit of the benefit don't you of training with with Oksana and with Kendall who are two of the fastest women in the world if not the two fastest women in the world to, you know it's not like you're you're suddenly surprised when you get there that somebody is so much faster than than you could have imagined. How does that benefit you having those people as part of your training? I feel like 
it sets up just a more realistic expectation for my progress. Uh, when I first started skiing, I definitely had a, a hard time learning that I wasn't going to be the best right away and that it was going to take time and that it, I mean, especially you're probably laughing because I'm a young person and everybody knows that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it took me a while to realize that everybody goes through that process and it's not really uh, a calendar that you're marking off the days and it's kind of just everybody has that personal progress and they're working towards that on their own schedule, really. Um, so I feel like it is an advantage to work with them uh, and to train with them and just watch them compete um, to see that they're the best, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, just to see that they've come up from where I came from and that it'll take time, too, so did that realization come for you when when the realization that you come in and you're like okay i'm going to be the best okay no i'm not going to be the best how did that how did you handle that and sort of channel it into something that was relatively positive you know, i kind of had to take myself out of other people's shoes for for once i kind of had to think like i kind of had to realize the the situation and timing that i was in uh, being 18 years old, I have so much time uh, with me. And someone like Kendall or Oksana, they've already gone through that time. In, in, in some ways, it, it's easier just to chase too, isn't it? Just the simple, just like keep up for longer today than you did yesterday or or whatever it is. What about the, the other part of it? I mean, we've talked about the school. We've talked about the sport part. But the part that you're actually doing now where suddenly you're forced to, to make sense of your story, of where you're going and talking to people. I mean, you were the, the 21st duck for the Anaheim Ducks, right? You get thrust into the, into the spotlight. How has that part been for you and how have you handled it? You seem to be handling it really well. Uh, you know, I just kind of take it day by day. Uh, I feel like sometimes I look back at the year that I've had and I'm realized whoa how did I go through all of that and now I'm here going to the Paralympics um, it's kind of just taking it day by day and a lot of times I don't exactly notice what I've just done I'm kind of just like okay that was really awesome now I gotta move on to this <laughs> interesting interesting yeah I mean it's a but it, but it is a challenge sometimes I mean when when people are requesting to talk to you and and trying to figure out for me it was it was hard to figure out what my job was you know is my job to train and compete or is my job to talk to groups and talk to the media and those kinds of things and and in some ways it it, it really is all of those things but then trying to juggle all of those things and be able to be at your best and get as much sleep as you need and all of those, you know, important parts of your training. It's really hard. So uh, what about, so, so will you graduate this spring? Yeah. So I'm going home about the, week, the first week of April. So a few weeks after being back from Beijing and then uh, I'll finish up school and I'll be graduating sometime in May. 
So will you, so you've been finishing up online, will you then transition back to the public school or will you just be finishing online after you get back? Yes. So I will be, so the way my school works is it's kind of a, a mixed bag per se. Uh, you can do online and there's also a campus so you can go meet with the teachers and get a more one-on-one -on -one work. Um, so when I get back, I will be doing online work, but I'll probably opt to go into my AP biology class, for example, just for extra help, especially after being gone for so long. Right. And I would imagine that doing lab work is probably really difficult when you're on your own in Bozeman. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a learning curve, I think, for my teacher and I, uh, especially going to Bozeman or uh, Beijing, uh, kind of had to think of outside the box and save those labs for when I get back, actually. A little something to look forward to. Will you do an actual an actual graduation like procession like cap and gown that kind of thing too or um i think it'll be on a smaller scale just because it's an online school but i believe so yes interesting what is so so what's next for you i guess both in school and in skiing well after my school year ends and even my ski season ends uh i kind of plan to shift my focus a tad. Uh, heading into college, I plan to hopefully attend uh, Montana State and come back here and ski more next year. Um, but there is also uh, some plans for things happening on the international side of women's sled hockey this coming year. So kind of just shifting my focus back to sled hockey for a bit and getting ready for college. Um, will be my focus for the next probably six months or so getting settled into college but after that for skiing I think it'll definitely be getting into the nitty-gritty things of training and just getting back into that focus after a while so you can do the hockey stuff in the off season then yes that's my plan I'll probably go home and uh, we have off-season training so I'll be playing hockey in the summer how does that translate? I remember listening to Oksana talk about going from Tokyo to Beijing to preparing for Beijing. And obviously she had to be pretty fit. I mean, what she won two gold medals in Tokyo, but saying how difficult it was to then transition into, into doing the, uh, the Nordic stuff. And so how does it transition for you? Is that more similar playing hockey than it is than hand cycling or not? Or is it just more fun or how does it work i mean are you asking if uh if you if hockey is more similar to skiing rather than cycling will will hockey actually prepare you for skiing uh, or, i would say not? <laughs> i would say both um uh, cycling definitely gives you more fitness to work with uh, especially spending hours on hours on the bike uh but in hockey you also get that sprint action um so it depends uh we'll see if i continue cycling uh competitively this summer like i have done the last few summers and in that case that uh, i'll definitely be getting my fitness in <laughs> my time in the gym in but uh yeah we'll see would you be able to do both do you think to be able to compete in hand cycling and also play hockey or is it in either or situation um i think it would be I mean, I have uh, juggled it uh, the last few years, so, but I think, especially with college coming up, it's kind of just a in-the-moment decision of will this be beneficial or 
will this be crunching my time even more than usual? Uh, so it's hard to say, I think. And any ideas what you're going to study? You mentioned AP Bio. Does that mean are you going to go like in a pre-med track or where, where are you going with your studies? Yeah, so I've kind of thought more on the engineering side of things. Uh, I'm studying, uh, especially in this last year or two, I've been studying more biology-focused stuff because uh, I've kind of always had this idea of maybe I could go into the world of prosthetics and orthotics because uh, that has always been a really cool interest of mine. But I also want to have the opportunity to branch off to other career specialties too. So um, I'm planning on majoring in chemical engineering for at least my first uh, can you describe your prosthetics? Because you said you're a double above the knee amputee. Yeah. And, and but yet you walk on prosthetics. So how does that work? Yeah. So I have two uh, two sockets, one for each leg, and then attached to that is a microprocessor knee. Um, and they're basically robots uh, or computers. Uh, they're programmed to walk with the help of your weight and your gait being used to pull that momentum forward for each step. Um, you charge it like an iPhone, which is pretty cool. And then attached to that, you have a foot on the bottom. And you can be as tall or short as you want to be? Yes. I have gone from 5'2 uh, to 5'7. <laughs> now I'm 5'7. <laughs> Are you sticking at 5'7"? Is that what you're thinking? I would say so, yeah. Uh, kind of wanted to stick with my arms or my wingspan, uh, arm span, um, just because when I was younger, I, I, uh, I've, I have pretty ar long arms. Um, so when I was younger with my legs due to my disability, I was a lot shorter. And I loved being short, to be honest, but I figured it's about time to even out the length between my arms and legs. So kind of why I've chosen to stick with that height. Little little nod to Da Vinci there, your your Vitruvian man kind of thing. Yeah. Symmetry and but you also with your prosthetics, do you get like because because sometimes you get a little bit of return in the prosthetic, right? Like some of these prosthetics are sort of like walking on the moon kind of thing, right? Is is that what you do or what what kind of a prosthetic do you have? Um, so mine, oh, that's hard to answer. I don't know why. Um, it's more of a, a daily life, just get around type of knee. It's kind of set just for typical walking, going downstairs, going down ramps. Uh, my specific microprocessor knee isn't set to go upstairs. So that's the biggest struggle is going upstairs. I can't bend the knee. Uh, but besides that, I'm able to walk pretty normally and uh, I wouldn't say it's like walking on the moon, uh, just walking as normally as I could, I guess. Uh, just, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't have exactly the most normal experience because I didn't have legs that walked as normally as other people, uh, but I'd say it's pretty close. How many sets of legs do you have? Right now I have two. Um, two that I use normally, especially being out here in Bozeman, trying to limit the amount of legs and prosthetic feet that I have laying around. Uh, so I have the two, the set of microprocessor knees. And then I have what I call stubbies, 
some people might see me out in the snow or just around the house in them and they're kind of just slippers uh, they don't have a knee to them so it's basically just a socket with uh, a sole on the bottom so I can get around and I don't have to put a liner or any protective layer on before putting it on I just have a sock on it and I slide my leg in pretty convenient for getting on and off the snow and just being around the house typically so you didn't bring your high heel legs to Bozeman, then is what you're saying? Um, I would if I had some. <laughs> uh, I'm not a high heel person, so sadly I don't have those, but <laughs> good idea. Uh, well, this is awesome, Lara. Thank you so much for joining us and, and good luck in your first games. Enjoy. It sounds like you'll definitely enjoy it. I definitely will. Plan and take every moment and just make the most of it. So thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you, and I look forward to watching your progress when you're in Beijing. So thank you to all of you for, for tuning in. As usual, the greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends to tune in, to, to check this out. Go tell people, like us, follow us. This will be edited and will be a traditional podcast, and you can get that wherever you get your podcasts. So please follow the name tags chat podcast and we'll talk to more great people like Lyra. And so Lyra, congratulations and great luck.